All right, well, I loved Devin picking that last song. All three were wonderful, but I, I loved the last song in particular because it so sets up uh, Joshua Sarita, Mr. Sarita, as he brings God's Word tonight. As you go, uh, as you all know, we are not to enjoy the Gospel personally and then keep it to ourselves. We have the privilege, we have the responsibility, uh, we just have the, the blessing to be able to share this with other people. And although evangelism is something uh, we get to do our whole lives, I, I think there's something, something, something so special about the teen years. Because you are in relationship with people in a way that you'll never be again. It's not to say you won't have friends when you get older. doesn't mean you're not going to be in community. doesn't mean you're not going to know unbelievers. But, but to, to do school together, to do life together, to be on teams together, to be on, you know, in bands together, there is something uh, just so special and really, really wonderful opportunities you have. You know, it can be a scary thing, but it can be a glorious thing to step out. So, Mr. Shreya is going to uh, help us look at God's Word specifically on the topic of evangelism. And really, you know, I think what's so cool is having Mr. Valentine last month and Mr. Shreya this month. I really can commend them uh, in the same ways, right? They, they both have a love for God. They both have a love for His Word. They both have a love for the church. They have a love for you. And so it was a joy to... Mr. Valentine last week talk about, or last month talk about risking for God, trusting God. And in some ways, I almost feel like, and Josh might even mention this, like it's almost like this is now uh, the overflow of that. Okay, what, is, what does it look like to risk for God, to trust God? One of the ways is through sharing the gospel. So, Joshua, if you would come on up and share God's word with us, buddy. Hey, guys. How you doing? Um... Yeah, I'll just open off by saying um, I'm extremely, extremely grateful um, to share God's Word with you. Um, Mrs. Rita, Nuba, and I um, have found it uh, to be an extreme blessing to be with you guys during your teen years in ways that when I was a teen, I, I didn't really have people who looked like me in terms of that same age range where it was kind of like this middle range between, okay, they're in adulthood, but they're not my parent, um, and they're not my peer in some sense of the word. And so we find it to be a blessing to be able to pour into you guys in ways that, in retrospect, we wish we had. Um, and not just in a way to just be there, but but truly present the gospel. Um, so again, just we, we really, uh, we just really love you guys. Um, so... We're going to be just just diving in straight. Um, so if you guys wouldn't mind opening your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to be reading verses 16 through 20 to get us started. But um, we're going to be focusing on 18 through 20. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. And as you guys are turning there, I just want to tell you a small little story. So again, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. So, in 2010, uh, I was an 18-year-old freshman at Penn State, main campus, wonderful place. 
And I had a, a friend who, who wasn't, he's, he's one of my best friends right now. His name's Andy Zimbala. And at the time, I didn't really know him from anybody else. I, I was new to Penn State, obviously. He had been there for a while. He'd worked for a Christian parachurch ministry, working with college students. And he took me out to Pita Pit one day. And as a college student, when you get free meals, you take them. <laughs> because you don't have a whole lot of money, and you can't travel anywhere. So he took me to Pita Pit. I remember exactly where we were, knew the exact Pete I got, never had been there in my life. And he opened up this passage to me. And as we were eating, he asked me a very poignant question. He said, Joshua, what are you doing to make disciples? And as any good church kid could answer, well, I gave him the typical answers that I would give anybody when they'd ask me things related to church. I said, well, you know, Andy, I, I read my Bible in public. I pray in public. I, I try to allow people to see things in my actions. I just try to be an example. And then he answered me, asked the same exact question. He answered my response with the same question, saying, Joshua, but what are you doing to make disciples? And I don't know if you've ever gotten to that point where um, you can't eat because there's so much tension in your gut. You know, you get, like, sweaty, like, on your belt line. That's how I felt. Like, I couldn't eat anymore. I left my pita on the table. And I was getting actually really upset. And the reason why I got upset was because I thought to myself, who are you to tell me how I should live my life? I grew up in the church my entire life. My parents were Christians. They were involved in church ministries. All I kept thinking was like, you don't know me. Who are you to tell me? Even though clearly he was opening God's word. And truly, what I was doing was being disobedient. And it was my pride that was coming against his encouragement in the word because I lived in the fear of man, being this privatized Christian my entire life. Because even with sinners who stood condemned around me, I was not going to open my mouth to tell anybody about what I believed. And if I truly loved my neighbor as Jesus commanded, why was I so selfish and apathetic? Like, I don't, I don't care. They're dying. Don't care. Just, I'll, just, I'll, just, I'll just do things that Christians do around people who aren't Christians, and then they'll maybe, like, in, in, join the party. That's all, that was my mentality. Kind of this osmosis, just by way of connection. And it's not to negate relationships, but we're going to get into God's word but kind of the main point that I want to pick out here, and we're going to, this is going to come kind of come full circle at the very end to see how the Lord has transformed my own life to make disciples and want to make disciples. But the main point, if you're taking notes, this is, this is what's going to be kind of the umbrella. As Christians, we receive God's power and presence to fulfill his purposes of proclaiming the gospel to sinners. I'll say that again. As Christians, if you're a Christian here today, we receive God's power and his presence to fulfill his purposes of proclaiming the gospel to sinners. So if you guys are already there, let's look at God's word, and then we'll pray and ask God to help us. It's Matthew 28, starting at verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, quote, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them name in the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to bring God's word to your people, to people who are in your family, to those who might not be in your family. And God, I pray that you would help us through your spirit to see how we can take this word, apply it to our lives in ways that are tangible, to be transformed by your power alone. May it not be anything that I say up here that transforms lives, but merely the proclamation of your gospel and your word that does the work in people's hearts, God. And I pray that you would help us to see how we need you in this process, that we cannot do it on our own. And thank you for the privilege to then proclaim the gospel to everyone, anywhere. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, just to provide a little context for Matthew. You guys might be familiar with Matthew. You might have read Matthew before. Um, But Matthew is one of four gospel accounts in the New Testament. Author is presumed to be Matthew, disciple of Jesus. This is first-hand contact um, with uh, Christ and his ministry. Uh, The setting is taking place in ancient Palestine, uh, ruled by this Roman Empire. And the date of its uh, writing is somewhere about 20 to 30 years after Jesus' ascension to heaven. Not that far, not that that long in between. So, again, very close uh, account. Um, some observations we can make through uh, the book of Matthew is that it's written in chronological order. It's kind of this narrative that takes place over time. Um, and uh, we see that Jesus is proclaimed as Messiah, and he makes a lot of connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, far more than any other gospel account, um, which affirms the, the Old Testament um, because it comes directly from Christ's mouth and, and how he is fulfilling these things, these prophecies, and making all these connections. It's, it's, it's incredible. I would encourage you to read the entire book of Matthew and see. It's just oh, like Old Testament overload. Um, and so uh, we also see Jesus' five, uh, five uh, main sermons, including the Sermon on the Mount. And within Jesus' proclamation in time on earth, we see one major theme taking place. And that being Jesus bringing what's known as the, the kingdom of God to earth, to all nations, not just the Jewish people. It's also synonymous with the term kingdom of heaven. And when you think of kingdom, you might think king, like, you know, the one who's in charge. And we see physical things. We think we think uh, kingdom and we think uh, castle, we, those type of things. But this is not a physical kingdom that have been in the past before Christ. This kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, one that is not involved with the physical reign of things, but the spiritual reign of things the spiritual reign of God and to rule the hearts and lives of people through his Holy Spirit. And so we, hear, we, see, we see within the, the book of Matthew this theme coming about and that he's addressing this smaller group of disciples, 11 disciples minus Judas, who's no longer with them. And many of these people saw Jesus during his ministry when he died. It says in Acts 1-3, this just affirms that, that he, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so there's going to be three points that we're going to break through. Okay, The the first is going to be God's power. The second is going to be God's purpose. And then the third is going to be God's promised presence. So God's power, 
God's purpose, God's promised presence. We're going to go through this in the, through this last chapter in the book of Matthew, through Christ's last words here, and see what, what the word says. So, let's start off with just chapter um, chapter twenty eight, verse eighteen, and the beginning of nineteen. And Jesus came to them and said, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore." Now, this this statement is just another claim to. Christ's deity while on earth. The word authority, okay, we often think of authorities that take place here, again, earthly, but this is not just simply just a small bit of authority. This is all authority, power, influence, domain, control. It all belongs to Jesus. No other type of authority would be given to just a mere man. In the previous verse, we even see that in verse 17, it says they saw him and they worshipped him. No worship should belong to anybody but God himself. And so if he's making a, a, a true statement like this, all authority has been given, he must have something to back it up. And obviously we see that through the book of Matthew. We see that this same word authority is used when Jesus teaches. We see it when he's approached by the Roman centurion. Uh, we see it when he's healing and forgiving sin. We see it when he's sending out his disciples. Um, when he's questioned by the Pharisees, by what authority do you do these things? You have a little conversation. And in all these instances, we see a reaction. There's a response to people. Sometimes they marvel and sometimes they disapprove because the Pharisees at the time, they're like, well, you're not actually, we don't believe you to be the Messiah. We don't believe you to be God. We're waiting for someone else. And he's like, nope, that, it's me. And this authority, you can make two observations about this authority. The first is the authority of the commandment that's given and the authority of the commander. So as Jesus goes into him making a truth claim and then saying, go therefore, he makes a very definitive definitive statement. It's go. You are going. It's not if you want, it's we're going. When, when authority figure gives a command, there's no room for rejection. G- King Jesus is to be obeyed. And yet at the same time, the authority of the commander provides comfort. Because he is, as the word said, this dreaded warrior who goes before us, and we can trust that he's faithful and loving at the same time. And he's the God of the universe. He knows all things. He not only makes a definitive statement, but he backs it up by being able to comfort us in the moment of our hesitation to say, like, he's not just any authority figure who just says, go because I just said so, but go because I said so, and I'm with you but as I send you. It's, it's incredible. Um, and you may wonder to yourself, well, you know, why does that matter? Why does it matter? At the beginning of verse 19, he says, go therefore, which could better be rephrased as, in light of what I just said, go. Remembering God's power and his authority is vitally important for sharing the gospel. Because as humans, and that includes myself, who are affected by indwelling sin, we are tempted to one of kind of two categories. Okay, so if you're writing this down, you can kind of break it up and, and I'll ask you kind of where do you see you fall? But this is this is how I fare. We can either fall in a category of pride, which says, hey, you know what? This whole like sharing the gospel thing, being a light to people, I'm pretty articulate. I'm pretty persuasive. I get a rise out of people when I talk. I consider myself to be a people person. 
And then within that same category of pride, it says, I don't have time for this. Like these people, like they're annoying. They're inconvenient. They get on my nerves. The way they talk, the way they dress, the way they, I can't, I can't be around these people. It just, it's, it's, it's a waste. So one elevates just this elevation of self over people and over God. And then there's this fear-based category, which many of us can find into. Well, what if I don't know what to say? I don't, I don't know the Bible enough. Who am I to share the gospel? I'm a hypocrite. I can't even do the same things I'm telling these people to do. They'll see through the facade. They'll, they'll just know, to know me and who am I? And the reason why I share these things is because these are legitimate things that run through my head. So I don't know what runs through your head. What runs through my head are all of those things. But if you notice, there's a common observation between all of them. They all focus on me. My ability and or my weakness. It's this me monster, this idol of me, which completely negates everything that Jesus just said. All authority has been given to me, not you. Not me. So where do you guys typically lean? just encourage you to think about that as we're going. I believe Jesus would want us to remember today that if you're a Christian here today, we receive God's power, God's power and presence to fulfill his purposes of proclaiming the gospel to sinners. And through the Spirit, we have access to the power. It's incredible. In John chapter 16, verse 8, this is, this is what Jesus says. He says, And when he, the Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Which means, teen, this takes the pressure off. It gets our eyes off of us and to Jesus. And spoiler alert, if you haven't already experienced it already, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. If you've ever tried to share the gospel, if you've ever tried to be articulate or tried to try to communicate what you remember hearing on a Sunday sermon or just from your parents... We botch it. We botch it. We don't, we don't say all the right parts, but here's the thing. We have nothing to fear because Jesus alone has the authority over the hearts of people. And guess what, guys? We have nothing to boast in because Jesus alone has the authority over the hearts of people. It's, it's hard functionally. Conceptually, it makes sense. Of course, he has authority, but functionally, do I operate that way? And now we get to the second point. So we understand God's power. Authority, he is sovereignly in control. Now his purpose. What do we what are we called to do? So nineteen uh, verse nineteen and the first part of twenty. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So here we see within this section, particularly in, in verse nineteen, a string of verbs. We see go. We see make disciples with that connection. We see teaching and we see baptize or baptizing. So we'll start with go. Now, it might seem as though go is pretty self-explanatory, um, but for some reason I didn't make that connection when I was a kid. Go meant, means like be and stand and be present and, and, and just, just be, like just, just stay, be around. But go implies movement. It implies going from one place to another, which negates and gets rid of passivity, saying, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just be passive bystander. 
It plays an active role in our um, active role in our lives, and this is affirmed by the t- two other connections to that, which is make disciples and teaching. Make disciples means to train or to to develop. It means to learn from the word progressively, and that word progressively implies time. It's to progress in something means to get better at it, and therefore can't just happen over one single moment in our lives. It's happening over time and. Teaching comes along with that. The, the Greek word for the teaching is didasko, means to impart knowledge, to cause to learn. These are not passive verbs, guys. But again, remembering God's power. This is this is important. I'll just remind you, it was, it's God's power. I'm getting to the purpose. We gotta rem- we have to remember it's God's power, and this could be daunting because we're like, oh my goodness, you're telling me I need to do things, and but we have to do that in light of what Jesus has already said. And then finally, we see the, the word baptize or baptizing. And here at Christ Community Church, we believe in believer's baptism uh, when a person makes a profession of faith. Um, it's an outward symbol of an inward change that, that the Holy Spirit has done on, on your heart or the person professing faith, Romans 6, 4. Um, and so we have this, 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 this string of verbs to go. And then we, well, we think to ourselves, well, what do I go with? Obviously, again, we can, I can probably ask, hey, so what do we go with? And people, you know, the gospel. Well, let's actually look at what he says here in verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. All that I have commanded you, that's a lot of things. But if we had to break it down to what Jesus said earlier in Matthew, feel free to flip there, but I'll read it. Um, Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40. Very famous, infamous passage where Jesus is addressing what is the greatest commandment. So if we're looking at all that I commanded you, let's look at what Jesus said is the greatest commandment. See if we can make some connections here. So again, Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40, it says, Teacher, addressing Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So many of us read that and we think, I've heard that before. But within it also implies a little bit of a pickle. Because God commanded us to love God and man perfectly. And if we're honest, we, we, we can't do this. We actually can't, we, we are unable to do this on our own power. We are inherently selfish. This, I'm speaking to myself. Inherently selfish. We love ourselves. We desire to please ourselves, not God. If, if you have never loved God and your neighbor, Perfectly for every single moment of every single part of ever being alive, we have broken God's commandment because it's not perfect. We have not perfectly loved God and our neighbor. And breaking God's commandment and his law is sin. And sin separates us from God, and that means we're a criminal before the judge of the earth who's been given all authority and all power. In that position, it's a little bit more daunting when we know that God has that power to judge. And if anyone in this room were to die in their sin, they are sent straight 
to hell upon death. Death and then judgment. It says in the scriptures in Romans that the wages of sin is death and he is a just judge who must must punish sin. No one will be let off the hook based on their own good works. Because we've all broken his law. He said, he says, which is the greatest commandment? You have to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. If we've never done that, we're in a pickle. But then there's the good news. The good news is that Jesus, fully God and fully man, sent by the Father from heaven, born of a woman, he lived a perfect life, he obeyed all commands. He loved perfectly where we were unable to, to love. And then guess what? In love, then he willingly died on a cross for sinners. He rose from the dead by the Spirit, defeating death. He defeated Satan. He now sits at the right hand of God. Anyone who repents in this room turns from their sin. Trust in Jesus as their Savior. God's Spirit will fill you. He will forgive you. He will give you new desires. We trade in our sin and our selfishness and our desire for comfort and for all the things that we desire. This idol of self. And he gives us new desires. We're adopted into his family. And we get to spend eternity with God in heaven. This is the good news of the gospel. And this is, there's no other message, teens. There's no other message, parents. We cannot substitute and provide a counterfeit gospel for people. Why not? Because there is a dying people out there. People do not need to be made good. They need to be coming alive. They are dead in their transgressions. So you might ask, who do we go to? Where where am I going? Um, Where do I go with this message, Mr. Sarita? Well, verse 19 makes it very clear. It says, all nations. And guess what, guys? You don't have to be a Greek scholar to know what all means in the original. Because it's all. <laughs> that's, I mean, I love, I love when that happens. I think to myself, like, hmm, maybe I should, maybe there's something that's different. Nope. Same thing. All means all. All people. No exceptions. There's no room to pick and choose. We don't have the right to size up people who I think, I think, I think they need the gospel. Based upon where they come from, their background, their history, I think they need the gospel. No, no. There is no distinction. All nations. And here's here's what I'm going to just say within this part. This gospel and where we go applies for both non-believers and for believers. So if you're lumping these categories and you're writing notes, non-believers, believers. Because guess what, guys? The gospel makes believers of Christ by the Spirit. And the gospel matures disciples of Christ by the Spirit. And when we remember the gospel, that means we recognize everyone needs it. And so we pray for God to justify the non-believer, to make them right before God, and then we pray for God's grace to sanctify, to, to make them more like Jesus. And then we, we love and form relationships like Jesus did with unrepentant sinners, and then we love and form relationships with repentant sinners, just like Jesus did. We share the gospel with the Spirit's help and insight to non-believers, and then we share the gospel with the Spirit's help and insight to believers. There's no, there's no distinction. And we might be tempted, and this is kind of making a connection to what Mr. Valentine was saying previously last month. We might say, hey, well, isn't God in control? Isn't, 
isn't the, isn't the sovereignty of God over the affairs of salvation and sanctification and justification and all these, these long words? He's, all, he's over that, right? Yes, he is. Based scripturally speaking, God is over everything. And yet, God's word is clear about our responsibility. God's word doesn't contradict itself. He doesn't say, oh yeah, you are, God is responsible for everything, but I don't actually mean for you to go. No, he means for us to go because it says go. And this is affirmed by other passages within scripture. Feel free to turn there, but no need to um, if you're not able to get there. Um, Romans 10, verses 13 to 17. This applies to the non-believer, the person who's unrepentant, has not called upon Jesus. Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? Or how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone, unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not obeyed, all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And this is key, guys, because this, this is what, as, as, a, as an 18-year-old in college, I was like, mm, this doesn't apply to me, but it does. It did then, it does now. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This does not say by simply being present. It means the word of Christ. We give people the gospel. That's how faith comes, through hearing the word of Christ. So we have that. We we need to go. If they haven't heard the gospel, it's problematic. That's why we need to go. But then to the believer, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. This is Paul addressing those who have believed, and it's stated within that they have believed. So it says in verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and from how ch- from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings that are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. And then it says 16 and 17, All scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. To the believer, they need the gospel. They need the scriptures just as much as the non-believer needs the scriptures. And again, that that, that was me on the right side, so to speak. This, this side of, I mean... Yeah, like, I grew up in the church. I know all this stuff. I mean, everybody's good, right? Like, but that's not true. It's a false assumption to think that those among us do not need it. Those who, we, we still need the same gospel. It's not, it's not what you do when you get saved. And it's not something you hear when you first get converted and justified. We need it every day. And as Christians, again, just coming back to that main point, we receive God's power and his presence to fulfill his purposes of proclaiming the gospel to sinners, those who are unrepentant and those who still have indwelling sin and are repentant. So who, if you guys, team, think about this within your sphere, guys. I don't, I don't know where your spheres are, what, what areas you guys touch. You guys, you guys have different areas, but who has the spirit placed on your heart to share the gospel with? Is it somebody on a sports team? Is it, I mean, is it a family member? 
Is it even somebody right here within Christ's community? How can you be an encouragement? Do not let yourself believe the lie that you are too young. That's what I thought. Too young. And it's like my parents do that stuff. They talk about deep issues and all that Bible. Don't, don't, don't let it get to that point. Let no one despise you for your youth. So, final point. I think this is most appropriate to end. In a conversation with Mr. Ross, I think this is a great place to end. Which is the last point. So we talked about God's power. We talked about his purpose. And we talked about his, now we're going to talk about his presence. So verse 20, kind of the last half of verse 20. says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When you see the phrase behold in scripture, make sure to pause. We don't we don't use that language often in our like general conversations, teen like teens, we're not saying, Hey, behold. Like that doesn't really we don't do that. You know, oh hey, behold, look at those sneakers. Like hey, do you see that? That's that's odd. It's quite frankly, it is actually weird to use that type of colloquial language. We we don't have that within our vocabulary. But it's meant to call attention to what follows it. And you see, I just got chills as I was preparing like earlier. Like, in other words, Jesus is saying, look and listen to what I'm about to say. It's like the big sign on the highway that just, look, look here, look here. So what does Jesus want us to pay attention to? He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And again, don't have to be a Greek scholar to know always means always. Not sometimes. Not when you're doing well. Not when you haven't sinned for a certain week on a certain particular area that you're struggling with. Not when you feel like you deserve something. Always. If you're a Christian, He is with you always. Jesus Christ, the one who has all authority and had every reason to abandon us, had every reason to send us to hell, he is promised to be with you because the scripture said so. The question is, Christian, do you believe that? Again, conceptually, guys, it's so easy to just think, yes, I know God's with me, but do you understand that the presence of God dwells in you? It's such, like, such cost had to be, such cost, at such a cost. That even in the Old Testament, we see that someone who wasn't right before God, that only a certain person was allowed to be in the presence, the most holy of holy places, and yet now he, because of Christ, indwells believers. That's, it's amazing. And that's comforting because when you think to yourself, I'm a hot shot and I know how to share the gospel with the believer and the non-believer, God says, it's my power and my spirit that goes with you. It's me. You give them me. And when you're tempted towards fear and saying, oh, but God, I can't do this. Like, just, I, like you don't understand. Like, I'm going to be ca- outcast and like, I'm gonna be, it's going to be awkward and they're not going to like me. And his spirit is with you. He affirms you. He is your identity and your covering and your shield. So when you're with your unbelieving friend or your family member, God is with you. And when you're with your believing, your, your repentant, your Christian friend or family member, God is with you. 
Do not believe the lies of Satan from the Old Testament, earliest as we can remember, that God is not good, that he's not faithful. That he just, he, he's, he's, he's not going to help you in that moment of proclaiming the gospel to anyone. Don't believe that lie, that you're just too young, that God's spirit is only greater with those who have been more mature in Christ. It's the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave. If you're a Christian, you have that spirit, that same spirit. And if you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to repent, to turn. There's nothing like knowing that there's reconciliation between you and the God of the universe who has all power and authority, but that he doesn't hang it over your head when you come to him, and he's not going to cast you away. It's, it's, it means it's a remarkable thing. There's one thing to know that someone has authority, and then they hang it over your head, just like this guilt trip. But God doesn't do that, because it's not about your own works. It's about what Jesus did on the cross. And so I just want to read one last um, section of text. I thought about this actually in the last preparations in regards to just an affirmation of God's spirit in you as a Christian. Psalm 139, verses 7 to 12. This is rich, guys. Psalm 139, verse 7 to 12. It says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand is, even there your hand shall lead me and shall, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me. And the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. That's, that's the same spirit who transformed me from this uber, goober freshman. Thinking I had it totally laid out. I knew exactly. You couldn't tell me anything. I was so proud and my heart was so hardened to want to see these people who are dying. It's like them being in a burning building and I'm not willing to do anything, but his spirit didn't leave me. Even then, when I knew I was saved, that his spirit didn't leave me. He didn't leave me up and say, hey, you know, Josh, based upon your performance, I mean, I think you're you're a done case. You're a lost cause. You're not going to proclaim my gospel. You're disobeying my rules. It says right here, where shall I go from your spirit? And so I would encourage you guys to just, as you're thinking, teens, I am so proud of the way that you guys, even just right now in your lives, are being examples to your peers, to your families. You guys are in a, in a, in a place not to stay there, but to keep moving forward. But you're in a place where hearing the gospel proclaimed every single Sunday was just not something I grew up with. And it's just so grateful for the leadership here at Christ Community Church that proclaims the gospel faithfully, and not based on their own standards, but God's standards. Because it's the Spirit who's at work and will remain in each and every one of you, if you're a Christian here today, for eternity. Um, yeah. Let's pray.
Uh, God, I thank you so much for your spirit. I just ask that you would help us to better see you more clearly and not look at ourselves. God, I am far, far from perfect, God. But I thank you for not keeping me where I was at. I thank you for not keeping these teens where they're at. If they are Christians today, God, that you are progressively making them more into the image of your son and that you are holding on to them, holding fast. I pray that they would not take for granted that they have this gospel and they would just do nothing with it. But God, that you would encourage them to spur them on to share with their fellow believer and with their non-believing friends and family, God. Help us to see that you are you are having all authority and all praise is belong to you. And therefore, we encourage people to worship the only God who is alive. No other God, no other name by which we must be saved. So God, help us to do that in your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Mr. Sarita, for helping us to get our eyes off of ourselves and on to God. I loved how he showed us that pride and fear in both of those were looking at us. If you think you're just awesome or you just kind of are condemned of how, how horrible you are, that either way you're just looking at you. And the way Joshua just encouraged us to look to God he is our hope. He is our identity. He is the one that we can trust in all things, but especially here when it comes to sharing the gospel with people. Now, he didn't dismiss being a good example, but being a good example will take no one from death to life, right? God uses our good example. He talks about us being holy and people asking, why are you different? No one's coming alive based on a good example. They need the dynamite of God. That's what the gospel is. It's the dynamite of God. And when we proclaim the gospel in our imperfection, or if there is you know, holiness they see, it's the gospel of the grace of God and the Spirit of God that takes the dead and makes them alive. And I love that reminder. Trusting God. Trusting His Gospel, trusting His Spirit, trusting His power, trusting His presence. And I just want to read the verse that was just running through my mind as Mr. Shreya was talking. You don't have to turn there. Just 2 Thessalonians 1, nine and 10. They, those who do not believe the Gospel, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Hell is forever. Do not believe anyone that says hell is not forever. Because God in His Word says it's forever. Eternal destruction. 
eternal punishment away from the presence of the Lord. Right now, unbelievers are experiencing the presence of the Lord in a common grace kind of way. They're not saved, they're not in a relationship with Him, but they experience His presence because they saw the sun today. And they enjoyed the beauty of today. And they kept having breath today. And they were given money at their jobs this week in all manner of blessing. They're enjoying the Lord to a degree. After judgment, they will be away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Eternal punishment. And yet, verse 10, when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. On that day of judgment, there will only be people who are saved because of God and His Gospel who are marveling He said He was going to come, and He did. And He's going to bring me into the new heavens and new earth, and I'm going to be with Him forever. Or those who will wish the mountains would fall on them because of how horrible it's going to be. And we get to share this Gospel. An illustration, and then we're going to break up and pray. And I hope hope, um, sticks with you for many years to come. And it's just a bit of an attachment to what Mr. Strito was talking about in the, in the call to go. I want you teens to think about, and I know not all of us will be called to marriage, but many of you will. I want you to think about your wedding day right now. Some of you think about it a lot, maybe. Some of you never think about it. My guess is, for the, for the vast, vast, vast majority of you, it feels like a foggy day that maybe one day will come. It's just kind of, it's just out there. When you get married on your wedding day, I want you to remember, it came. This day is real. I'm walking through this day, and I'm living it, and these people are really here, and the pastor's really up there, and my bride or my my groom is, is here with me. It felt like a foggy, shadowy day that might one day come, and then it did. That's That's judgment day. Judgment Day right now feels foggy and shadowy and we, we learn about it and Mr. Sari is talking about the importance of sharing the gospel because this day is going to come and people will either be in eternity in hell or in eternity in heaven and it just kind of feels hard to wrap my mind around but it will be a very real day. It will be as real as today. Christ one day will split open the heavens and thousands of angels will follow and the sheep and the goats will be divided. It will happen. I don't know when, it will happen. And you're going to be there. And every friend of yours is going to be there. And all your family's going to be there. And we've got the gospel. Get your eyes off yourself and on to God and on to these people. I need you. I need you to share the gospel with me. And the unbelievers in your life need you to share the gospel with them. Yes, God is sovereign. And yet we're ambassadors. Yes, God saves. You know how He saves? By you proclaiming the gospel. So we're going to break up because into groups because we need to pray, right? Like we, you know, parents. I think that you know, is it pride or is it fear for you? Uh, you know, just there's a, there's a lot of good questions that Joshua asked. There's definitely a place for questions, but both of us agreed the the first place to go is to pray because don't we need God? We all can be fearful. We all can be scared. We we all can have that, well, I don't know everything. 
And so I wait until I know everything to share. You're not going to know everything this side of heaven. Give people what you do know. And you all know the gospel. So we're going to pray. And, and so, um, CB, if you wouldn't mind leading the parents, Jason and Joshua know they're going to lead groups, but, but just teens and parents praying that God would give us boldness and to get our eyes on Him, that we would know His power, that we would remember His purpose. You don't have to remember all these, but just, but just to kind of start to feed your mind and your heart. Uh, that we would functionally believe in His presence, that He goes with us, and just that God would, would save. Right? We, we just proclaim. We can't save people. We can just give the Gospel. God save. And so, let's pray that God would save. So, um, 12 and 13 year olds, you're going to be with Mr. Sarita. You'll just grab some chairs. So 12 and 13 year olds are kind of your back left. Uh, 14 and 15 year olds with Jason back over there. Um, 16, 17, 18 uh, over by the, the exit only sign there with me. And then parents, if you want to be over here with, uh, with CB. And so what I said at man school was, don't worry about what people think. God loves to hear your prayers. Don't be fearful to pray, what do people think of me? Who cares what people think of you? God loves you and loves to listen to you. So may we just spend about 10, 15 minutes praying, and then if each of you guys would close kind of once we get around 9 o'clock. So 12, 13-year-olds with Mr. Sarita, 14, 15-year-olds with Mr. White, 16 to 18 with me, parents with CB.